Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Yes, thank you for standing. We got a new one for you this morning, and it comes right from the scripture that says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's called Be Glad. Sing with us.
Amen, amen. What an amazing song. Thank you so much, worship team, for sharing that with us today. Hey, we have a lot to celebrate. He has brought us from morning to dancing. Amen. How many of you actually danced today? No? That was your opportunity to dance in church during that song. Next time we sing it, I give you permission to do that. But he's also brought us from from death to life, and we celebrate that today. Can anyone testify to that this morning? Amen. It's good. Jesus is truly amazing, and he's the best, best person for our lives, and, and it, one of the best decisions that we could make as a human being is to surrender to him and to have a relationship with him. So if that's something that you have not done yet today, we're praying for you. We're praying for you because it is, it's, a, it's absolutely amazing. It is the, the life-changing uh, decision that you can make for all of eternity. So we're so thankful for Jesus today and what he did for us on the cross. We're so glad that you're here today. So glad that you came back to Kavanaugh Church to be able to celebrate and to have fellowship with one another. And not, not only that, but to gather around God's word today and to be able to worship and grow together as the body. So we hope you're ready and we hope you're excited because God has some amazing stuff for us today. I invite you all to stand right now. We're going to ask God's anointing on the rest of our services. So good to see you guys. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. Thank you so much uh, for all that you've done for us today. God, we celebrate you and all that you've done for us. We can look back in each of our own individual lives and see the the work that you have done in each of us. How you brought us from where we were to where we are now because of your son Jesus. We we were able to experience a life change for the better, God. And Lord, we pray for anyone else that has not experienced that today. That when they hear the message of salvation today, they hear what what incredible work that you can do in their lives. And they receive you for their own. We're so thankful for you, Jesus. And as uh, we continue on our services in here um, and uh, back in our children's ministry and any other ministry that's going on right now, God, Lord, you reign. Send your spirit and thrive among us this morning in your name. Amen. Greet those around you. We'll get started in a few seconds.
Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. mighty works. We know stories about the parting of the Red Sea and about him shutting the mouths of lions for Daniel, about him being in the fire with the three Hebrew children. And when Jesus came on the scene, his fame began to spread by witnessing his incredible acts and miracles. Um, stories most that you know about, a story of um, him feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, and he healed the sick, cast out demons, he reconciled homes, and he paid attention to the lowly and the outcast. He demonstrated love like the world had never seen, and everywhere he went, um, there was just a buzz about Jesus, and crowds, multi multitudes gathered, 
to see him and witness for themselves what was happening. But I want you to listen to Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. It says, he went to his hometown and it says, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages and began teaching. And it just made me think, um, we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he is still willing to move and he is still willing to heal. And he is still willing and wants to reconcile homes. And he wants to help the lowly and the downcast. And whatever problem it is that we are facing, whatever uh, need, whether it's great or whether it's small, he wants to do that. But in Mark, it says that he couldn't do it because there was unbelief. And so it's just my prayer that within these walls today, we will let Jesus do what he is famous for and just cast out, cry out, Lord, help my unbelief, right? And just trust in the one who can do all things.
trust that you can do the impossible. You will restore a marriage. You will heal our minds. You'll give us peace. God, you can work things that we can't even begin to imagine exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God, you're bigger than all of that. So we pray, Father, today that your Holy Spirit would just continue to move and that we could trust in the one that is famous for doing the incredible. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And thank you. May be seated. Give the praise team a big hand. They did it today, man. And it, it is my prayer God would just do what God does. He'd show up and do something amazing starting in your heart, all right, and then in our church. Hey, when God called me to preach as a boy, I really thought that I would spend my entire life at churches in West Texas as my home. I love my home. You love your home? I love my home right now, not if I've carried Lane. I, I, love, I love this church home, all right? But I love my West Texas home. And I really thought in my own mind that, that I would just spend my entire life in West Texas. In fact, I never entertained the thought that I would ever move from the place that I loved. And I love Texas. I know that disgusts some of you. And you want to vomit right now. But I, I can't help it. I love Texas. My favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. I've always loved the Dallas Cowboys. Whether they're doing bad or good, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. My favorite baseball team is the Texas Rangers. There, there is only one person in this room who is a bigger Ranger fan than I am, and that is my wife. <laughs> I even love the shape of the state of Texas. Now, it's, it's not my favorite college and university, but I just love to do this. <laughs> Brother Fred's back there in the back. We have a special handshake where we shake each other's hands with this right here. And the people around him, when we do this, they get sick to their stomach, but we don't care. Oh, no. Now, that makes me sick, but it, we won't go there. Need, needless to say, I love audience participation. To a limit, all right? 
Needless to say, I thought I was in hog heaven when on two occasions the Lord let me pastor in Texas. But both times God called me away from Texas to Arkansas. That was your only chance. I'm glad you took. You know what? That's when it happened. That, that is when it happened. That's when I realized I had a Jonah gene in my DNA. Now, I don't know a whole lot about DNA, but I do know that the genes that are in your body make you who you are. You look the way you look because of your DNA, your genes. You act the way you act because of your genes in your DNA. And I realized that I had a Jonah gene in my DNA. I didn't like that it was there. I didn't really like the fact that there was a little bit of Jonah in me and I resisted doing what God was calling me to do. But I don't know, maybe you're on the same boat. Maybe there's a little bit of Jonah in you too. And so that's why today I want to speak on the subject, there is a Jonah gene in my DNA. Let's start with Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I love this little book in the Old Testament, one of my favorite books of the Bible. In fact, not long ago, just a few years back, we did a series on the book of Jonah where we looked at actually every single verse in that little book. Here's what it says in Jonah 1, 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry. I'd like to say three things about this book in the Bible. And the very first thing I'd like to say is this. The story of Jonah is a story of weeping. For Jonah was told, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And it was a mega city, a huge city, thousands of people living there. You go to the great city, Nineveh, and you cry. You cry out. You go proclaim a message that reflects the weeping heart of God. This is the story of the heart of God weeping for a lost city and the heart of God weeping for a confused world. Church, do I need to remind you that we too are living in times that should literally make us cry? Some of you may remember back in in 2017, our our middle daughter Callie was at Baylor and she decided to go on this uh, nine-month missions trip. And so for nine months, she was in three different countries uh, with a team doing missionary work. And during that time, that process, I think it was in January, Angie and I were able to fly over to the Philippines and see Callie. We hadn't seen her in like four and a half months, and and we got to see her and be with her team and do ministry work in the Philippines. Anybody remember us doing that? I'll tell you what, it, it is one week that rocked my world and changed my life. We were serving in Angela City in the Philippines. We, we were working on a, a strip of street called Fields Avenue, 
in Angeles City, and we were going from bar to bar. Yes, your pastor, first time I've ever been in a bar, and I just didn't bar hop from one to another. We went in a dozen bars that night. Only drank Sprite. But did you know on, on Fields Avenue in Angeles City in the Philippines, on that one strip of road, there are over 14,000 young girls who have been sold into sex slavery, and, and they are being bought by men who come from all over the world for the single purpose of going into one of those bars and buying for the night a little virgin girl. It is heart-wrenching to walk into those places of establishment and to see those scared little girls, some of them as young as 12 years old. The average age of the girls, what, 15, 16 years old? And here is the tragic part. When, when you sit down and talk to these little girls, you find out their story. Their parents, who are poor Filipinos who, who live out in the country, have sold their daughters. Mama and daddy have sold their little 12-year-old daughter to be a prostitute because they needed the money. Our job was to sit down with these, with these little girls and enter into a conversation with them and try to convince them that there is a better life for them. They don't have to do this with their body. There, there is a place in that city that will take them in, a house that will restore them, feed them, clothe them, send them to school and pay the bill. All they have to be willing to do is go. And we would talk to girl after girl until we got kicked out of that bar and then we'd go to another bar. The tragic thing about it, these little girls were too scared. They were afraid. And can I tell you something, church? It broke my heart. That kind of thing should make us weep. When we were at the National Association of Free Will Baptists this past summer in, in, in North Carolina, I met a young couple from Canyon, Texas. I know the father-in-law who is a pastor in Canyon, Texas. This young couple, man and woman, ha have a burden for young girls who have been sold into sl sex slavery. And so they have a ministry and they, they go to Las Vegas and, and they're trying to help these little girls who have been sold and their bodies are being used for prostitution. What, what a great ministry. And, and, and you may not think, well, that doesn't happen in the United States. Yes, it does. Las Vegas is one of the major hubs of this kind of thing happening, but it's not just in the Philippines and Las Vegas. It's happening right here in Arkansas, right up the road from us. In northwest Arkansas, there is a major play going on to recruit girls and, and steal girls and kidnap girls and sell them into this slave market of sin. It's happening right here in the River Valley. It should break our hearts. We ought to be weeping over these little girls. Did you know that over 90,000 children live on the streets of Zambia? most of them orphaned by the AIDS epidemic. More than half of the 600,000 children of Zambia have lost at least one parent. Death is so common 
that coffins are sold out of brightly colored vans parked alongside the roads. Little bitty kids, children the age of your kids and grandkids that are back there with Brother Johnny in kids' church. Little bitty children are living on the streets and they're finding abandoned aerosol cans and sniffing those cans, trying to remain numb from the pain they feel in their lives. Teenagers live in a state of constant drunkenness from a homemade beer and from smoking something called jeckum. It is fermented human feces that they scrape from sewer pipes and smoke. They are an abandoned, lost generation living dazed on the streets and dying in the sewers. That should make us weep. I I recently read a story about a man on the New York subway. 37 years old, 5'7", 170 pounds. He was wearing dark jeans, a polo, and black boots. He was sitting there on the subway from early morning until late evening as people got on and off, coming and going, bustling movement all around him. The problem was he was dead. He sat in his seat and he died. And he was there all day, but nobody had noticed he was dead. Here we are as Christians, right here in Fort Smith, America, And we are living in a world full of dead people. We come and go. We ride around in circles. Sometimes we lose our burden. We forget that we are surrounded by people who are dead to Jesus Christ. They are dead to hope. They are dead to eternal life. We forget that we are serving a Savior who wept over an entire city, Jerusalem, and he also wept over a single grave, the grave of Lazarus. And I'm here to tell you that same Jesus is weeping over the city of Fort Smith. He weeps over this state. He weeps over our backslidden country. He weeps over the 195 nations of the world and over the 3 billion people and over 7,000 people groups that still remain unreached with the gospel. He's weeping for people in this church that are far from him. He's weeping for your neighbor your lost loved one. Jesus came to seek and to save lost people. That was his mission. That is his love. Give me the heart of Jesus. Lord, help me to weep for the things you weep about. So the Lord told Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out. Care about them. Do something for them evangelize them, save them. But what happened to Jonah? Well, that's the second thing I want you to notice. This is not only a story about weeping, it's also a story about sleeping. Look at chapter 1, verses 3 and following. But Jonah arose to flee 
unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I, I don't have time to talk about it this morning, but literally he was running as far away from God as he possibly could in the other direction. From one known point in the universe to the next, he was running as far away from God as he could. And notice as I continue to read, he kept going down. He went down, down, down into that burning ring. That's a, that's a different song, isn't it? But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. I would be too. And every man cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the vessel. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. He had lain down, and he was what? He was snoozing, man. I've been preaching out of the book of Proverbs, so let me bring out a, a proverb to you today. It says, he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. A little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands. Hey, guys, we all need rest. It looks like to me some of you didn't get enough of it last night. But there's a time to sleep, but most of the time we need to be awake. I wonder if it isn't likewise with us. Here we are in the middle of the greatest harvest season the church of Jesus Christ has ever known in the history of the world. But most of us, to be honest about it, are relatively unaware and we are uninvolved. We need to wake up to what God is doing in this world. This is a special day, thus I've, I've preached this particular message. This is, this is our International Missions Department day that we're trying to raise $1 million for worldwide missions. We, we call it WMO, World Missions Offering. Our, our International Missions Department's been doing this for several years. The, the, the goal keeps growing. This year it, it is a million dollars we are trying to raise. And we're asking every Free Will Baptist Church to ask every Free Will Baptist parishioner to give a special offering today that will go directly to our missionaries who are serving in other countries and every penny that is given to WMO is going to special projects that will be used to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't think of anything more worthy than that. Million dollars, that's a lot of money, isn't it? I'm no mathematician, but I did some calculations. And I was shocked to discover that our entire WMO offering of a million dollars could be met today if every Free Will Baptist church member just gave $5. That's less than two gallons of gas, people. You think how easy. It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Man, if, if every free will Baptist just gave five bucks, you blow five bucks, man. More than that, you, five bucks is nothing. 
Five bucks is like 25 cents when I was a kid. How easy. But you know, here's the reality. Unless God moves and God does something, that that goal is probably not going to be met. We always set these goals in our department, but we've we've never met the goal. Last year, the goal was a million dollars. Free Will Baptist only gave 700,000. And, and, and excuse me if I get aggravated and frustrated up here. I'm a member of the International Mission Board. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the people who set these goals, and, and it is flabbergasting to me. I cannot, I cannot fathom. I cannot understand how come we can't raise that money. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. And here's the problem. We're asking every Free Will Baptist Church to participate. Reality is less than one-third of the churches in our denomination is going to take up any kind of offering today for foreign missions. And I just can't get it. I don't understand it. And here's something else that boggles my brain. Out of the one-third of churches that will take up an offering, not every Christian in those churches are going to give. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. For world missions, you're not willing to give? What's wrong with us, people? We need to wake up. Thank, thank God Kavanaugh's not like other churches. Thank God that this is a generous church, a giving church. Thank thank God that you're not like other Free Will Baptist church members. You you, you understand the the process of sowing and reaping. You understand that, you know what, if if I dig down and I give, God's going to bless me in return because he's a giving God. That's and people call me crazy, you can call me crazy, I don't care. That's why, that's why God has put on my heart, I believe, and I've challenged you that today, let's give $50,000 to reach that $1 million. Not every church is going to give, so let's give more than our share. Let me let you know a little secret. Sometimes I, I, write, I write all my sermons and I anticipate a certain reaction from you when I say something. And I'm not getting the reaction that I anticipated. Preacher, when, when are you going to stop asking us to give? I'm never going to stop asking you to give. And you know what? It's not that we're just about your money because every penny you give to get today doesn't stay here. It doesn't, it doesn't pay for a cotton-picking thing. People call me crazy because we give one of our week's offering to missions. How do you make it on 51 weeks when you're supposed to live on 52? I don't know how we make it, but we have. So... so I'm expecting more of you than the five bucks. $50,000. How does that compute? Well, I'm kind of like Jeffro Bodine when it comes to calculating. <laughs> but Danny, I got out my, my pencil, my number two pencil and my, my pad, and I did some figuring. 
We had 608 people last week in attendance. I don't know what we have today, probably somewhere close to that, but let's base it on the 608 we had last week. If we're going to reach $50,000 today, it means that every person who is here is going to have to give $82.24. Now, there, there, are some, there are some little kids back there, because that counts little kids too. There are some little kids back there in the nursery that they don't have... Jules doesn't have $82.24, does she? <laughs> so you, you know what that means? That some of us are going to have to give a little more. And I, mean, I would never tell you how much to give. I've challenged you as a church to give $50,000, but I'll never tell you how much to give. That's between you and God, but here's what I have done. I've asked you to get on your knees and to cry and to weep and to pray and to ask God how much for you to give today. And if you've done that, I am confident he's told you how much to give. And let me tell you something, I'm, I'm good with that. What I want you to do today more than anything else is to wake up and realize there is a world out there that is dying and going to hell. And we have the resources to reach them with the good news. So why in the world are you sitting on it when you could be giving it? Hmm. Somebody's been sleeping. What about our prayer support? J.O. Frazier was a missionary to China back in the early 1900s. He, he credited the conversion of hundreds of families to the prayers of his very earnest little prayer group back in England. Here's what he said. Christians at home can do as much for foreign missions as those who are actually on the field. It will only be known on the last day how much has been accomplished in missionary work by the prayers of earnest believers at home. But here's the reality. Most of us don't take praying for missionaries very seriously. We've had dozens of missionaries come to our church, and every one of them has given us a, a little prayer card. What, what have you done with that prayer card? Most of us have filed it away or lost it or thrown it away. What we need to be doing every single day is praying like Hezekiah prayed during the Assyrian crisis where he laid it out before the Lord and cried over it and prayed over it. We have pastors like Pastor Jose who's been here. You know his ministry in Puerto Rico. Today we need to cry over his ministry and pray for him. I just got a text message this morning from Josh Provo. He's one of our young missionaries in Bulgaria. He's trying to do great things for God. He's been to our church, brought his kids to our church. We've prayed over him in this church. But you know what? We need to be praying for Josh Provo every day. Somebody's been asleep. And what about the international students flooding into our country? Did you know at this very moment that I'm speaking to you, there are 948,519 international students in the United States being trained in our colleges and universities? Some of them will go back to the political and military and education systems in their own countries and be leaders there because they are the brightest students from those countries. But right now, they're in the United States of America. They're being trained in our colleges and universities. And we can reach some of them. But not if we're asleep. 
Thank God that Free Will Baptists have recently opened their eyes to this. We have been awakened and we have started several ministries on college campuses. In fact, in one of our last board meetings with International Missions, we accepted a young man who is going to the University of Missouri for such a college campus ministry. International students are in that university, and he's being sent there to reach them. Wake up, people. The world has come to us. Recently, I read a bit of history that has been called the biggest lost opportunity in missionary history. Wrap your mind around that. The biggest lost opportunity in missionary history. There was a 13-year-old in Mongolia who inherited a little bit of land from his father. This boy was a precocious warrior with an instinctive brilliance as a military strategist, but he was also ruthless and mean. And he formed fighting bands that went from village to village until he was ruling over two million people in a Mongolian empire that stretched from China to India and from Siberia to the edges of Western Europe. They gave this young man the title of Genghis Khan. I've met Genghis Khan. When Angie and I were in Fort Worth going to Southwestern Seminary, the first year we lived in an apartment complex, and right next door to us was this young couple who had a chihuahua (laughs) that they had named Genghis Khan. And can I tell you, that was the meanest, vilest little dog I have ever met in my life. He lived true to his name. Genghis Khan ruled over more territory than any man has ever ruled. Meanwhile, at the same time in Western Europe, there was a great revival occurring under the preaching of men like St. Francis of Assisi, and thousands were becoming Christians. Following Khan's death, the bulk of his empire eventually went to his grandson, Kubla Khan, who established his capital in Beijing. He had two Italians in his court whose last name was Polo, the father and the uncle of the famed explorer Marco Polo. And they began to tell Kublai Khan about Christianity. And the the great ruler became very interested in the tenets of the faith of Christianity. And, And so he sent the Polo brothers back with a request that Europe send 100 missionaries to tell the Mongolians and the Chinese about Christianity. And here's what he said. When we learn about Christianity, there will be more Christians in my empire than in all of Europe. Well, the Polos returned with a message, but guess what? Nobody, zero, were interested in going. Finally, two friars agreed to go with the Polos. Marco Polo was with them. But along the way, the friars became faint-hearted, and they turned around, and they went home. When they arrived in Beijing, Kublai Khan said, where are all the missionaries? But there were no missionaries. Can you imagine the difference in our world today had there been missionaries? Had there been people who woke up? Somebody was sleeping. 
I believe every Sunday when I stand up here and preach, God is speaking to you. It's not, it's not because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit. God's Word is alive. It's active. It's powerful. It's penetrating. And as we read God's Word in public, the Holy Spirit takes the words of the Bible and takes the words of the preacher, and He speaks directly into your heart. I believe that happens every week here. I believe it's happening today. I believe that God is speaking to you about being willing to travel overseas to do His work. I've always prayed and I will continue to pray, God send missionaries from Kavanaugh Church. And and you know, when you think about that, you're thinking, oh, my kids and my grandkids, God calls young people to me. Yes, He does do that. And thank God for that. We're we're praying for Blaze Ministry, that that God would raise up students to follow his call into foreign lands and to become preachers and pastors and and missionaries. Yes, we are, but you know what? I'm praying that God would call some of you older folks. Not just to get rid of some of you, but... And and you tell me, why not? If if you're here today and you're retired or close to retirement, guess what? You have more resources and more time available than you've ever had before. And what are you doing with it? I'm telling you what, folks, it's it's time for us to, to wake up and to see what God is doing in this world and to get a burdened heart for lost souls. And even if we don't go to places like Bulgaria, We do mission work right here. In that message I received from Josh Provo this morning, he was asking for a team of people to come to Bulgaria in December, late December and early January, and help him with a project that he has going on in Bulgaria to reach little children with the good news of Jesus by giving them a Christmas gift and sharing with them the Christmas story. He said, all we need are six people. Would you pray about going? I'm asking you, why don't you pray about doing something like that or or going down to Puerto Rico and helping Pastor Jose in the school or or doing something in mission work? Well, the story of Jonah ends a little bit better than the one of the Polo brothers that I told you about. You're aware of the story about the whale, the big fish, how God eventually got Jonah headed in the right direction. I mean, he, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to preach, but having spent three days and three nights in the whale motel, he decided he better go. And thus we discover that the story of Jonah is not only one of weeping and sleeping, it's also a story of reaping. Jonah went to Nineveh and he walked around the city, which was a huge city. It took him several days to walk through the city and he was preaching a sermon of one sentence. Now back up with me here and understand the context of the passage. Jonah did not like the Ninevites. He despised them. He hated them. He could care less where they spend eternity. In fact, he would like to be God himself and send them to hell. But God called him to go preach. He didn't want to go, but after the well experience, he decided, I better go. So he is an uninspired preacher walking through the streets. There was nothing passionate about his message. There was no zeal in his preaching. 
He had no illustrations to share. It was a sermon of a single sentence. But I want you to know that entire city repented of their sins. Amazing. Look at it in Jonah 3, 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And I want to suggest that just as the book of Jonah brings us to the greatest single gathering of souls in the Bible. Did you get that? This one story has the greatest ingathering of the kingdom of God. More people were transformed and changed at one point in time because of one sentence of one sermon that was preached than any other place in the Bible. You and I right now are privileged to live during the greatest single harvest season ever witnessed by the church of Jesus Christ. According to recent statistics, it took from the beginning of church history in Acts chapter 2 until the year 1900 for committed believers to become 2.5% of the world population. It took only 70 more years for that percentage to double. By 1970, committed believers were 5% of a much larger world population. Then it took just 22 years to double that number again. In 1992, committed believers grow to become 10% of a still larger world population. And according to George Otis of the Centennial Group, about 70% of all the church's outreach since its beginning until today has been accomplished in this century alone. And about 70% of what has happened and been accomplished in this century has happened since 1945. And 70% of what has happened since 1945 has happened in the last 30 years. According to missionary statistics, over 260,000 people every single day are being presented with the plan of salvation. That's exciting, man. That today, worldwide, in all countries of the world, 260,000 people are being told about Jesus. There is a growing sense of excitement among missiologists that we could actually be within striking distance of seeing the gospel presented to every known people group within the lifetime of some of us who are here today. That's the good news. Somebody say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But here's the bad news. The greatest areas of harvest are not here in America. They're overseas. Get this, only about 15% of the worldwide body of Christ lives in North America. And the church in America is not doing very well. 85% of evangelical churches, that that means Bible-believing churches just like Kavanaugh Church, 85% of churches are plateaued or declining. 
right here in the state of Arkansas with Free Will Baptist. Free Will Baptist in Arkansas. We have almost 15, last time I heard it was 15, it could be 12 now, 15 churches that are without a pastor. Some of those churches have been without a pastor for over two years. They can't find a preacher. But that's why church growth authorities are saying if, if, you, if you're a church and you have even a halfway decent pastor, you better not fire him because <laughs> you're not going to find another one. I've been waiting a long time to share that with you. So. <laughs> the church in America is dying. American society is in a post Christian era. Back when I was in seminary, they were telling us we are headed for a post-Christian era. Folks, we're in it right now. Our culture is becoming so secularized and cynical that only a revival of biblical proportions is going to save the church in America. People don't think the way they thought 50 years ago. 50 years ago, there was respect for the church. People knew something about the gospel. People don't know anything about the gospel today, and they could care less about the church. They think we're phonies. They think we're full of it. They think we're bigoted. They think we don't care. North American missionaries are overall becoming fewer and older, while missionaries from new emerging overseas fields are increasing and youthful. You know what that means? I've said all that to say this. Here's what, here's what this means. If you individually, raise your hand if you're an individual, okay? if you individually and Kavanaugh Church corporately, if we are not heavily invested in overseas missions, we are going to miss out on 85% of what God is doing in this world. So God, wake us up. Calls us to weep. Calls us to share the good news. However, whenever. Here's what I want to know. I want to know that when I lay my head down on my pillow at night, that someone somewhere in the world is getting up to continue the work we're doing here at Kavanaugh Church. They've been sent out by my church. They are supported by my dollars, and they are being sustained by my prayers. I want to have a part in a ministry on which the sun never sets. I want to be a part of something bigger than I am, wider than the block walls of Kavanaugh Church. I want to be involved in a global harvest of global proportions at the twilight of human history. For that to happen, I've got to wake up. For that to happen, God has got to break my heart and cause me to weep. You want me to tell you the problem with me? You want me to talk about that Jonah gene that's in my DNA? Because when I tell you this, I might just be describing you. Here, here's the way I've kind of become. I have gotten so irritated and so aggravated at what I see going on in my world today that I can hardly stand it. I'm thinking, how much more liberal can we become? 
How much more can we allow to happen before God intervenes and does something really bad? And I look at people and I'm thinking, dude, what, what are you thinking, man? How can, you be, how can you be so vile and so perverted? When I look at people who don't think the same way I think, they don't speak the same things I speak, they don't believe the same things I believe. Let me tell you, it irritates me. When I see it on TV, I just get so mad I can't watch it anymore. Is that just me? But then the reality sets in. Then I realize, you know what that is? That's that cotton-picking Jonah gene in my DNA. Jonah had gotten so aggravated at the Ninevites, he, he wanted to send them to hell. And so I've been coming in here to the altar, and I've been praying, God... Would you break my heart? I, I know, God, that you hate sin. I hate sin. You hate sin. But, dear Lord, I, my heart has gotten hard, and now I'm hating the sinner. And, church, that's not the heart of God. God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And that is a real struggle for me. I have a hard time separating the two. And so I've been praying, God, break my heart. Help me to see people as you see people. Help me to hurt for people who are hurting. Help me to care enough about them that I'm going to share the love of Jesus with them. Lord, help me not to be so cotton-picking stingy. And to spend more of my time out there in the world with sinners who need a Savior. Help me to give more of my money so that our missionaries who are serving on fields that I can't be at can do the work of Jesus Christ. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you get irritated at me. For preaching sermons like this. Maybe you get irritated at me for asking you to give and to go, to give and to go, and you're saying, Preacher, when are you going to stop? I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Because until Jesus comes back, we've got to be going and we've got to be giving. For the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about this sermon, thinking about this message, thinking about how I'm going to end it, and I wanted, I wanted to end it by singing a song to you, but I can't sing. So let me just tell you about this song. It's a song about a guy who's died and he's gone to heaven. He was a Christian, a believer. He, he went to heaven, and as he's standing in heaven, people start coming up to him, and they start thanking him for his generous heart. They say, thank you for giving to the Lord. A guy comes up to him and says, thank, thank you, thank you for teaching my Sunday school class. I was only a little kid, eight years old, but you cared about us and you loved us and you shared the gospel with us. You gave us the heart of Jesus. Thank you for giving to the Lord. 
I am a life that's been changed because you gave your time. Somebody else came up to him and said, I want to thank you for giving. A missionary came to your church. They, they showed their pictures on the big screen. You saw the pictures and you cried. It touched your heart. You didn't have much money, but you gave what you had. And because you gave that day, I'm in heaven with you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I don't know. I don't know, but there, there's something inside of me that says one day when you get to heaven, one day when you walk through those pearly gates, one day when you shake the hands of angels, one day when you walk into your mansion that's been prepared just for you, one day when you're in heaven, after you've been there a little bit, there's going to be somebody who walks up to you and says, thank you for giving. I know you thought your preacher was crazy, <laughs> pushing WMO for a single month and telling the church you've got to give $50,000. You thought he was crazy and that your church couldn't do it. But I want to thank you because you gave what you had. And I'm in heaven today because you gave. So church, it is time that we wake up and see what God is doing in this world. That we wake up and that we see that lost people are dying all around us. They're dead in their trespasses and in their sins. And if they are going to hear the good news of the gospel, it is because you care enough about them that you open your mouth and you share Jesus with them. Amen. That we wake up, that we weep, that we give, and that we go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do something amazing in this room today. I pray that through the story of Jonah, there would be a revival fire that starts in our hearts, that we would have compassion for a lost world, that we would see people as you see them, Lord, that we would be burdened for their eternal souls. And Lord, let me just stop right here and say, if there's anybody in this room who is without Christ, without hope, if they don't know they're going to heaven when they die, I pray that today they would come and receive your gift of salvation. Lord, draw them to yourself today. For the rest of us, Lord, Lord, may we come to the altar and say, Lord, I am willing. Lord, may we come and say, you know what, Jesus, I've decided to follow you. And Lord, wherever you lead me, that's where I'm going to go. May we come today and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? If God is speaking to you, don't resist him. Come, come to the altar and pray today. Come and pray. Lord, how can I give? How can I go? What can I do?
Come on. Come and present your body a living sacrifice. Come and let God do something in your life. Lord, we do believe in you today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for speaking to our hearts, challenging our lives. I pray, dear Lord, I pray that today we would wake up, that our hearts would be burdened, that we would weep for lost people. And dear Lord, that we would both give and go. Help us this week, dear Lord, to share our faith with someone who needs to be saved, someone who is lost. Help us to witness to them. Just tell them our story of salvation. And dear Lord, I pray that today we would give like we've never given before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated just for a second. Uh, If you are here today and a guest, you've never been to Kavanaugh Church before, would you grab one of these guest cards? It's a connect card. It's in the chair back in front of you. And very quickly fill that out. And as you leave, go through these doors and uh, stop by our Connect counter. If you give them this card, they're gonna give you a, a really cool gift and uh, we'd like to meet you. So pl- please do that. Again, for the church, this is for our church people. When you walk out the doors today, make sure you put your offering in that black box. Every penny you give, everything you give is gonna go to world missions today, all right? And, and I know I've challenged you. You think I'm silly and I'm crazy, but God, God has put that burden on my heart. And I said, Lord, that's, that's crazy. We can't raise $50,000 in a single offering. He said, well, you, just, you just tell them and challenge them and, and you leave the results up to me. But you know what? The result is up to God, but it's, it's also on us too. And, and I've, I've taken this serious. I never ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. 
And I have poured over this and prayed over this. And God, God has spoken to me and told me the sacrificial gift that I need to give. And I've already given it. So I'm just challenging you to do the same thing. God will bless it, use it. And who knows? There may be someone who comes up to you in heaven one day and says, thank you for giving to the Lord. God bless you. Have a great week. We will see you Wednesday night.